You can go ahead and turn with me to Ephesians 5. That's where we'll find ourselves. We're also going to be in Genesis this morning. It's good to be back with you. I was away sick last week. Thankful that Pastor Spencer filled in for me. You guys observed Lord's Supper together. But as we go through Ephesians together, Ephesians 5, uh, we looked at verse 21. But I, I want to read this morning from verse 21 all the way to verse 33. Okay? Probably, I mean, I would, I would say probably one of the most famous passages in Scripture. It says, Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Paul's coming off a, Paul's coming off a discussion here, if you remember from a couple weeks ago, and in the weeks prior as well in Ephesians, on what it looks like to have a life that is spirit-filled. And you remember, spirit-filled is not something that we do, it's something that God does, and a, a spirit-filled life is one that only those who are saved by God's grace can live. It can't be lived by others. Remember, I hope you remember me saying this, but this isn't like some playbook that we can give to the world and say, just try to do this and everything's going to be good. They, they can't do it. You have to be spirit-filled in order to do these things. And so Paul talks about some different things that spirit-filled life, what, what flows from that. He talked about fellowshipping together, teaching and admonishing one another, that we sing and praise God together. And even in our singing, we're teaching each other that we're supposed to live a life when, we're, when it's spirit-filled, that we live a life of thanksgiving, that we're thankful for the things that God has given us and what he has done for us. <clears throat> but then the last time I had the opportunity to preach, it was that we submit to one another. That's why I read verse 21 again this time. That's how Paul kind of ended that section, but how he then introduced this section that we'll be looking at uh, this morning in the next couple weeks to follow, that we are to submit to one another. Why? Out of reverence for Christ. I don't submit to you, fellow church members, because I like you, because I love you. That should be part of it, yeah, but I submit to you out of reverence for Christ and what he's done for me. And the fact that my life is now spirit-filled because of what he has done for me that then causes me to submit to you, to be willing to lay down my life for you, my, my desires, whatever it might be, to help, to encourage, to love, to care for you. And that's not just because I'm a pastor. It's because I'm a Christian, a part of a church. 
And the same then goes for you as well if you are living a life that is spirit-filled. Now, I think it's important, though, before we get into the specifics of wives and husbands, which Paul definitely does here. We see that in verses 22 through 24. There at the very end as well in verse 33, he talks specifically to wives. But then in verses 25 through 32, he talks specifically to husbands, of which we will look at, like I said, over the next two weeks. I want us to take a more general look at marriage and try to ask the question when it comes to marriage, what is it? What does the Bible say about marriage? Where did it come from? What's its purpose? You know, why, why did God even do it this way? There's many answers that you can find in the world to these questions, and I have no doubt that you've heard some of them, probably a lot of them. But the Bible details for us the true answers to these questions of what is marriage? Why do we have it? And as always, what we need to decide, and I hope that you've already decided this, especially if you are a Christian, is do we believe God's word to be true? Do we believe that this book is, is true? Not something that we can flip through and say, well, I like that, so let's go with that. I don't like this, so let's not go with this. You see, you can't, you can't treat the Bible like we would treat a kitchen remodel. Or you might go in and they give you all types of magazines and you're like, I like the countertop in this book. I like the cabinets in this book. I like the paint that I see in this book. And I'm just going to mash them all together and make the kitchen that I want. I think that's how a lot of us approach the Bible at times. I really don't like what it says here. It really makes me uncomfortable. And so you know what? I'm going to put more weight over here or more weight over here. We, we can't do that. If we believe God's word to be true, then we must live by it. We must believe it and not just pick and choose what we want to follow and what we don't. I say that because this is a topic, marriage, of where we see this happening greatly. Not just in the world at large, but in, in church, in churches all over the place. And so let's try our best to answer some of these questions. And like I said, we're going to be in Genesis probably mostly uh, this morning. And so if you want to go ahead and turn over to Genesis chapter 1, I'll be reading from there in a moment, verses 26 to 31. One of the most important things that we see about marriage is that God establishes marriage within creation. It's not something that's established later for a certain culture, for a certain type of person. No, God establishes it before sin has ever entered the world. In his perfect creation, he establishes marriage. This is vital. Marriage is rooted in the fact that God has created all things and part of his perfect order is the marriage of male and female together. It's rooted within creation. But as we will see, when we, as we get there, that sin has disrupted this. Sin has caused chaos within marriage and within life in general. But that does not take away from the fact that God has established marriage within creation. We see in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 to 31, that God creates male and female. Look what it says. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply 
and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. We see in this passage of creation that God has very purposefully created two genders here. Each gender has a purpose. We see that Adam was, yes, created first. And he's even told how he's responsible for marriage, for the marriage. Eve created as the suitable helper that comes alongside Adam. These genders here are created in God's image. Both of them. Both created in the image of God, equal in that sense, but yes, with separate roles, right? Separate responsibilities. But it's important because the Bible does say that both are made in his image. And this shows us something important. Both are made as representative rulers of creation. That's what they're supposed to do. They're supposed to have dominion and subdue it, which we'll get to. And they both work together in doing this. I really leaned on a book. Pastor Scott let me borrow one of his uh, books for this, which was really helpful, from an author, Andreas Kustenberger. And I'll read a quote from him a little bit later. But he pointed this out, of how both are representative. right? Representative of what? Of, of, of God as creator to control creation. And God made Adam and Eve to what? That what we just read. To help control creation. And they are representative of that, again, together, as they fulfill their roles, as it plays out how it's supposed to, it will be done well together. And so it plays out in the next two points that is brought up there in Genesis, which I've already mentioned. First, God created them what? To have dominion over the earth, he says. And again, together they fulfill this purpose when working within the roles that God has given them. They subdue it. They take care of it. And as a result, God would allow them to reap benefits from the earth, right? That's one of the things we always try to point out to teenagers, and we probably need to start extending that to adults. Work was created before sin. Work's not the result of sin. The difficulty of work is because of sin. But work was actually given to us before sin ever happened, and it was good to be a part of the creation that God had made, and he allowed us as men and women to be able to work and to see something be produced from it. It was a blessing, and it still is a blessing. But not just dominion over the earth, which he created us to do, but he also tells them a, a specific command. He said, created them to multiply and fill the earth. This is part of the dominion over the earth. It continues through this command given to Adam and Eve, which still is for us today, to work within their roles and be fruitful and multiply. I think this is important to bring up, and I, I, I think... Not too long ago, this could have been something you would have just passed by and it would have been assumed. But more and more, sadly, this is something that couples are actually seeing as an issue. Not because of medical reasons, which happens, but because this whole idea of multiplying adds too much to my schedule. I don't want to do that. I, I want to have a career, and they will just block my career if we start having kids we both want to work. We both want to do that. Now, that is a very 
society statement. But it is a statement that has creeped into the church more and more and more. And it really is sad. Because as we've been called to be married and to come together as husband and wife, we've been called to multiply and fill the earth. This is not because this shouldn't be seen again as kids being a nuisance, being a bother, being a problem, or something that limits freedom, something that limits potential. Kids are a blessing. Kids are a gift from God. And it's actually something as uh, marital partners are called to do is multiplying for the earth. I heard one pastor go so far, I'm not going to say that this is, is true, but I heard him say this is one of the problems with the church. <clears throat> Christians aren't having kids anymore. And one of the, one of the best spots for evangelism within the, within the community is within the community. As Christian parents have children, there's a, a really high chance that they if, will come to know the Lord. We see that in Scripture. But as we choose to not have these children... We have a smaller and smaller church as days goes on. Day goes on. Again, that was him saying that, not me. I just thought it was an interesting article uh, there to read. So God created them with dominion over the earth, multiply and fill the earth, but that wasn't it. Because if you go to Genesis chapter 2, and we're going to look at verses 18 through 25, we see that God also created them for companionship. It says, And the Lord God said, It's not good that the man should be alone. I'll make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Now when we look at this passage, the Bible tells us here, it says, and notice, God saw that it was not good for the man to be alone. We don't have an instance where Adam is going to God and saying, I'm pretty bored. I'm pretty lonely. I can't do all this stuff that you asked me to do. You need to step in here. It, it wasn't that. And it's also not an instance where God had messed up and was like, you know what? I need to do something else. This needs to something a little extra here. No, it was always the plan that there would be male and female, but the Bible specifically points out that of God saying it's not good for the man to be alone. God had always planned for there to be a relationship between man and woman, and within this relationship is that need for companionship, and it cannot be replaced by any other relationship that is out there. It just can't be. This is what God has designed and what God has put together, and we are created to need this relationship. Now what I'm going to say next is I, I don't want this to be controversial. I don't mean it to be, and I'm also not trying to hurt anybody's feelings. But some of us, yes, will be called to be single. But I think that's going to be the exception, not the rule. Because when the Bible speaks about living a single life, at least when Paul does, it, it's, it's for the sake of ministry. Even a special task that God is going to set them aside for. And it, it does seem to be, in Scripture, the exception 
I think we've pushed that in our culture as well uh, pretty far, and, and actually too far from the biblical model. Yes, some are going to be called, but again, I think that's the exception. God has created us with this need for companionship, a need that we have and a need that can only be fulfilled when male and female come together within marriage. Then we also see that God created them with roles, specific roles and specific tasks. Genesis 2.18, we read that. God created Eve, what? To be a helper to Adam so Adam could accomplish his purpose given to him by God. It's important to point out that nowhere in Scripture, nowhere in Scripture can you ever find Adam being called Eve's helper. It just doesn't happen. Eve was created as Adam's helper. And this is important as we move forward in Ephesians of what we'll look at next week uh, in Ephesians 5, 22 through 24 when we talk about wives. Eve is considered the helper, not Adam. And what Adam needs, what Adam desperately needs, is he needs Eve to fulfill her role. Why? In order for their purpose together to be fulfilled. And this is where our world struggles greatly today. No doubt you're thinking about it as I'm talking about it. We just simply don't want to believe what God says about this stuff. We don't want to follow what God says about marriage, about gender, about the roles within those genders, and about sexuality. It's such a struggle today, outside the church, but even more so inside the church. It's creeping inside the church, and it's becoming a struggle and something that's so difficult to talk about. And sit there and think, why? Why is this? Why is it such a struggle? Well, you don't have to flip very far in your Bible to find out why this is a struggle, because in Genesis chapter 3, we get the answer. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 8 through 19, a little thing called sin comes into play. And sin has disrupted marriage. It's disrupted gender. It's disrupted sexuality. And it's disrupted the roles that the genders have. Beginning in verse 8 of chapter 3. This is after they have sinned. They've, Satan has tempted them. Uh, Eve sinned. Adam then sinned alongside with Eve. And it says, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman who you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam, he said, 
Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So we see right away in chapter 3, that what Satan does is Satan approaches Eve, not Adam. He goes after Eve, and he starts to tempt Eve. And it seems as if Adam was there with Eve during all of this. But what Satan is doing is Satan is attacking God's created order. That's what's happening here. He's going after God's created order. He's not going after Adam, who's the head of the family, He's going after Eve and saying, you make this decision. You do this. Now, this does not mean that Eve's more easily tempted or that Eve's more easily persuaded, which I think, sadly, has been taught oftentimes. No, Satan is attacking God's order, his established order. And we see this in the judgment that's brought down on Adam and Eve by God. Because the judgment is severe. When he goes to Eve, he says, Eve... You are going to struggle with your role. The role that I've given you in marriage, you're going to struggle with it. You're going to struggle to be helper. You're going to struggle to submit. You are going to try to rule over your husband. That's what you're going to do. This makes sense. Why we see the struggles we see in the world today with the word helper or submit. I guarantee with me saying what I've been saying up here, some of you are queasy in your stomach. It makes you uncomfortable to hear me say these things because it's such a push against these words. And listen, it has been that way since the fruit was eaten. Because this is what was attacked, it's what Satan attacked, and then because of sin, this is what God declared would happen. There's going to be struggles within this relationship because of sin. And we see this all the time in marriages, don't we? How Eve, it's, how, again, i Says, right, I want to get to Eve's part in verse 16. I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing, and pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but then he shall rule over you. Right? We see this fight play out in all marriages, even the good ones. The battle rages on always. And when I talk to men about their marriages and struggle within their marriages, oftentimes what it gets to is they do not feel respected within their marriage. Of which my response could be, no duh. I mean, it was declared that this was going to happen. It's part of the curse because of sin. It is the battle that we are going to fight, but you are going to need to suck it up, man. I mean, it's hard to do, but that is going to be the battle. Because there is a complete hatred to this word. This is a, this is a big word, but complementarianism. This idea that God has given us roles and those roles need to be fulfilled within marriage. There is a push against that, big time. All across the board, in society and in church. And the fact that God has made us for these specific roles, but yet the curse of sin is that you're going to push back against these roles as male and female. And sadly, what I see is when the church starts to accept this lie, when it starts to infiltrate the church and we start to 
abandon the roles that God has given us. I have often seen, again, from my, my limited time on earth, but what I have seen is oftentimes what that does to a church is it's the first indication of that church is going to slide right into theological liberalism. This is the gateway that I've always seen. You start having women leadership, women pastors, women that are ordained. For me, that's always the first sign. Give it some time. That church is, is gone. They're gone. They've abandoned the roles that God has declared in Scripture. They've tried to do some sort of triage on Scripture to make it fit to what they're saying, and they can't because marriage has been, has been given to us within creation, before sin, and so it can't be disrupted, it can't be changed, but they're, they're trying to change that. And what's eventually going to happen is they're also not going to like uh, suffering, and they're going to have to answer that differently. They're going to start struggling with God's wrath. Then they're going to struggle with the atonement. And then the next thing you know, salvation is washed away pretty much altogether. And they slide usually into a universalism where everybody's okay as long as we all love each other and try to do good. I'm sure you've seen that in churches. And oftentimes I have found this is the gateway for that. Now it's not just Eve though that's told that the curse is going to affect her. It's also Adam. Adam is going to struggle. And what is he going to struggle with? Well, number one, he's going to struggle to provide and protect his family. Things just got a lot more difficult. Before sin, it was easy to go and pick the fruit. It was easy to work the garden. There were no weeds. There were no thorns. There were no thistles. There was no struggle. But now there's going to be struggle to provide for your family. There's going to be struggle to lead and to protect your family. And it's going to be extremely difficult on all fronts, within and outside. Your wife is going to fight you for control, and the earth is going to fight you for control. And it's going to be a battle that you have Always. And so what happens as a result? Remember what the curse on Eve was. You're going to be contrary to your husband. What He's going to rule over you. And sadly, we see a lot of men do this within their marriage. They act as if they rule over their wife. The way that they're going to fight back from her pushing is domination. I will force you to submit then. I will treat you way less than me. And I will act better than you. Why is this? Well, it's a part of the curse of sin. Because of sin, men try to lead through brute force, through fear, through manipulation, instead of love. Parading their leadership around as if they earned it. When they didn't earn it, it was given to them. God had given them that role to lead. And they're abusing that role that God has given them. Oftentimes, men, this is why we do not receive respect from our wives, because we don't deserve it. We haven't done anything to deserve the respect from them. We just feel, because you're my wife, you better respect me. And we don't do it out of love or care or concern. And we even like to flash our Bibles at them and say, see, if you're going to be a good wife, you're going to do what this says. And oftentimes our wives, because they do love us, and they do submit, do not take that Bible out of our hands and hit us in the head with it. <clears throat> but they just take it. And so it's not just with wives being cursed, but because of sin, 
Adam was cursed as well. And we still are struggling with this day in and day out. And so what some people have come to the conclusion is this. Marriage is antiquated and we don't need it anymore. There's so much problems within it. It's not fulfilling its purpose. We can multiply the earth without marriage. We can subdue the earth without this. Let's just say it's something from a bygone era. But we can't do that, number one, because it was rooted in creation. But number two, when Paul speaks of marriage in Ephesians 5, 22 through 33, he says marriage isn't just for you to subdue the earth. Marriage isn't just for you to have companionship. Marriage isn't just for you to multiply the earth. God has created marriage actually for a way for the world to see his glory. God has given marriage for the world to see the gospel and to be able to understand the gospel. Because when speaking of marriage in Ephesians, Paul makes the point to say, you think I'm talking about you guys, I'm talking about Christ and the church here. Look at verse 32 of Ephesians 5. He says, this mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. There's a quote from the man that I was telling you guys about earlier, Andreas Kustenberger. This is in his book. It really, was a good, it really is a good book. Listen to what he says here. He says, the first important lesson for marriage from Paul's teaching in Ephesians is therefore that the marriage relationship must be seen within the compass of God's larger salvation historical end time purposes. That is, the bringing of all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. This includes spiritual powers who will be fully submitted to Christ. The bringing together of Jews and Gentiles in one salvation historical end time entity. The church, the restoration of creation, which men as divine image bearers are currently working to subdue. And most relevant for our present purposes, the restoration of the male-female marriage relationship as realized by spirit-filled, committed Christian believers who overcome the cursed struggle of manipulation and dominance and the power of Christ and relate to each other in proper submission and Christ-like love while God's purposes, therefore, are greater than marriage or male-female roles, they significantly include this relationship. See, marriage is much bigger than just male-female roles. It's much bigger than just procreation. It's much bigger than all these different things that we can talk about. God rooted this in history, in creation. And Paul says it's there for the world to see Christ. As you, husband and wives, are married and living together and you're living your life, realize your marriage is always a part of God's perfect plan for humanity. To see him, to know him, to realize him. But this can only be done, remember, by spirit-filled believers. We can get so angry at the world because of how they view marriage, they, they, can't, they can't fulfill this marriage. A lot of non-Christians come up on stages just like this in churches because 
Their grandma has always wanted them to be married in a church. Neither of them care about church. Neither of them are Christians whatsoever. They come and they join in marriage, which we would be for them getting married. Even non-Christians, we, we would hold that up and say, yes, marriage is important, you should be married. But we are foolish to think that they can actually live out their roles as husband and wife well, according to Scripture, when they are not spirit-filled believers. Just like they can't sing songs in praise to God, just like they can't be a part of the church teaching and admonishing one another, having fellowship, living a life of thanksgiving, it's impossible to do without being filled with the Spirit, which comes with being saved by God's grace through faith in Christ. You also can't live out your marriage without that. But now I know, I know that some of you listening to my voice today, you are in a marriage where there's two of you who are committed Christians. And so your job as committed Christians within that marriage is to overcome the curse of sin, not because you have the strength to do it, but because you both are filled with the Spirit and God has given you the power of the Holy Spirit to fulfill your marriage roles and vows. You don't have an excuse. The world has an excuse. They're not spirit-filled. You don't. And so husbands, you, as we're going to see, need to love your wives more than you love yourself. The task that we have as husbands is so great, and we're going to talk about it in two weeks. <clears throat> Think about it. You have to love your wife like Christ loved the church. What? That is impossible. All that we read in Ephesians chapters 1, 2, and 3, I'm supposed to love my wife in that way? Completely selfless? Completely thinking about her? Willing to sacrifice time, energy, desires, my life. Willing to sacrifice any of that. Why? For her betterment and for her good. That's how much I have to love her. <sighs> Wives, you're told to submit to your husband. To respect him. To fulfill your role as one who comes alongside of him and loves him and cares for him. That's what you're called to do. We're going to talk about that more next week. And while these two tasks seem impossible, the reason I wanted to start kind of with this introduction of what is marriage, it's a task worth fighting for as Christians. It's worth fighting for, not just so that we can have somebody to love and care for, it's worth fighting for because Paul tells us, I speak of a mystery here. I'm speaking of Christ and his church. As you, in your marriage, Christians, Fulfill the roles you're supposed to do. It shows the world the love that Christ has for the church. It's a big deal. When you stood right here, which some of you did, I did, stood right here and made a vow. Might have even had Ephesians read. I don't remember anything about my wedding. Maybe. I have no idea if it was read. But we came together and vowed together before God saying, we are making the vows according to Scripture. And what I'm saying is I am going to have a marriage that is Christ-like. That's what we are going to do here. It's a mystery, 
But as we love each other how we're supposed to do, they will get a glimpse. They will get a glimpse of a life before the curse. How it's supposed to be. And how one day when Christ returns, how it will be. All back together. No more sin, no more struggle, no more pain, but living in glory with him forever. This is the task we have at hand when it comes to marriage. And it's a serious one. It's why as churches we fight for it. It's why we hold on to it. It's why we declare it to be something that is honorable. Because God has created it within creation. And it's a way for us to show the world what he's done and who he is. I have no doubt over the next few weeks, it will be uncomfortable uh, hearing some of these things, no doubt. Uh, I know that, I feel that, and I sense that. But we want to be people of the word of God. I believe this book to be true. I believe it to be the best thing for me. I believe it to be the best thing for you. And so if that's the case, I want to do what it says. I want to love my wife how I should. I want her to treat me how she should. I, I want to raise my kids, which it gets into, how I should. I want to go into work environments and household environments, how I should, and submitting to each other and loving each other. I want to do all of that well. And Paul starts to get to the nitty-gritty of that stuff. We had all that theology for all those weeks, over a year, Ephesians 1 through 3. And you remember when we got to chapter 4, I said, now for you doers, get ready. It's your time. You have stuff to do. Well, the, it really, we really start getting on the road with that over the next couple weeks. But know this. I want to remind us of this. I fail at this miserably, and you do too. My wife's not in here. She's teaching children's church. Awesome. Awesome sovereignty of God this morning. <laughs> I told her, and I can't remember if some of my kids were there, and I was honest with them. I said, I feel like the biggest hypocrite up there preaching this stuff. Because I have no doubt my kids, my wife, could tell you stories after stories of where I failed this. But th this is where the good news lies. My acceptance into the kingdom of God isn't even based on this stuff. It's based on Christ, the one who lived a perfect life for me. And yes, I want to strive to be the best dad, the best husband, the best pastor, the hardest worker. I want to do all of these different things. And, but I know I'm going to fail at times. But I know that I can rest in his arms and in his grace who still loves me even in my failure. And so again, over the next couple weeks, there's going to be times you feel like a failure. There's going to be some of you as parents, your kids are in your 30s and 40s, and you're like, all is lost. I've wasted all my time. You're going to feel like such a loser. But know that in Christ, that's not true. That's not true. Yes, we all can do better. And hopefully by the grace of God, we will. But your acceptance isn't because of how good of a parent you are or have been or how good of a husband and wife you are. Our acceptance in the kingdom of God is based on his grace and our faith through Christ. And so let's hold on to that as we go through this over the next few weeks together. Let's rest in his arms, but yes, let's strive to have the relationships that God has called us to have and to do them well.
Let's bow together. Let's pray. God, I, I do thank you for the truth of your word. God, it is not lost on me that as we go through these next few verses and chapters, that what we are saying definitely is despised in our culture. I know this. It has crossed my mind. I know these messages will be on the radio. I know these messages will be on TV. And I know that people will hear them and it will not make them happy. But God, we have a desire to follow your word because we believe you've given us your word and that is the best for everybody. And so God, while there are many who say that there's other ways for happiness, other ways for joy, other ways for peace, God, as one who's been saved by your grace, I know that's just not true. That in Christ, only those things can be happen. Only those things can be true. And God, I, I can't control the world. I, I can't control what they say. I, I can't control what they do. God, all I can do is try to live the life that you've called me to. Your word tells us that as Christians, you've saved us and that you've filled us with your spirit. And as a result of being filled with the spirit, this then is how that plays out in life. We're to love each other. We're to submit to one another. We fellowship together. We sing together. We do all these things together. But then, as Paul's getting to, he even talks about our marriage, our children, even work. And so God, I pray that as we read your word together, as we study it together, that you would help us to submit to you, to submit to your word, to be faithful to what you've called us to. God, I pray that you would work in marriages within these walls, that you would work within parental and children relationships. Maybe there's issues in our lives that we need to deal with, and you're going to use your word to, to show us that and to help us on that road to, to fixing those things, doing better in those things. So God, while it might be difficult, it could be a struggle. We know that it's for our good. God, we want to honor you in all of our relationships, so, so help us to do that. God, help us to be people who are kind, who are loving, who are patient. All those difficult words. Help us to display those things as people who've been saved by your grace. God, as we sing this last song to you, I pray that it would be <clears throat> sung to you in a way that is glorifying to you alone, not to us, but that glorifies and honors you. So help us to worship you with this last song now, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.